I would like to thank you all for coming, especially those of you that are here and also those that are listening online. Why don't we pray? Father, we just ask you now to open up our eyes that we might behold the wondrous things that you have in store for us tonight. Thank you, Lord. You know, there's a, a myriad of reasons that we can say, why did Jesus come? Why did he die? We can say that he came to destroy the works of the devil, that he came to show us the Father, that he came to uh, fulfill prophecy, that he came to pay for the penalty of our sins, to show us how to live. Uh, there's so many reasons that we could come up with for uh, why Jesus came or why Jesus died. In fact, I could make a list and then I could hand it to you and you could make a list and now the list is this long. And then when we get to heaven, Jesus can triple that size why he came. So we don't want to limit God in any way. We don't want to limit our thoughts on, the, on why Jesus came. But tonight I would like to talk about one aspect of his coming, though we can see there's many of them. You know, Christian teaching has always said that Jesus came and died for our sins. And so you start asking the question, or many people have asked the questions, they've, they've asked this question, these questions more than they asked other theological questions, like why did Jesus need to die? Did he even have to die? And couldn't God just go poof, and you're forgiven, and just make it easy on himself? Is God vengeful? Is he bloodthirsty? Is he into human sacrifice? Is he into child abuse? Why the crucifixion? Why didn't he do it the more civilized way, maybe a guillotine or something? And, and so these questions are asked by everybody. We may have even asked those questions. But you know what? Um, people would rather talk about the love of God rather than the cross of Christ. And you know, Paul often said, he said, listen, I'm persecuted because I talk about the cross of Christ. If I didn't talk about the cross of Christ, there'd be no persecution for me. But you know what? You cannot talk about it the love of Christ without talking about the cross of Christ. Romans tells us that God demonstrated his love to us. How? In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's how God demonstrated his love to us. It's sacramental, it's an outward invisible sign of something in the invisible realm that we can see that God does in fact love us. He demonstrated it to us. I want to get this straight, though, right off the bat. God did not have to die for us. Don't stop there. Don't turn your radios off. You can't, okay? You can't. You have to listen to the rest of that sentence. He chose to die for us. He didn't have to. He chose. And he chose to die for us before the foundations of the earth because he's, he loved us. See, once he chose to demonstrate his love to us, that included his dying. You see, if he didn't make that choice, we were without hope. Because make no mistake about it, every single thing that's not of God, when he returns and sets up his kingdom, it's going to be destroyed. It's going to be erased. It's going to be eradicated. In the kingdom of God, there's no more crying, no more sinning, no more rebellion. In fact, that's what we call hell, being separated from God forever. When his kingdom comes, everything will be destroyed that's not of God. We would have been destroyed if he didn't make that choice. Even our good works that we think are good works that are not of him, they're going to be destroyed. They're going to be burned up by fire. Only that which is of God is going to remain in his kingdom. But now, we're no longer 
a people without hope because of the choice that he made. The scripture says we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Why were we dead in our trespasses and sin? Because the scripture also says the wages of sin is death. You know, but Colossians, Paul tells us, God made us alive together with him when he forgave us our trespasses, erasing the record that stood against us and its legal demands. Legal demands? What court does God have to answer to? Isn't he the judge? What legal demands does he have to answer to? No, he is the judge. His legal demands come from his word. His word decides what the legal demands are. And he doesn't lie. And he doesn't speak words that he doesn't live up to. In fact, his word is the courtroom of the universe, both the invisible and the visible. You know, in order to understand why he died and that he couldn't just forgive us, we have to understand that forgiveness, you may not understand it because I didn't at a point either, but forgiveness requires that, that a cost be paid. It's more than just word. There's a cost to forgiveness. There's a price tag that someone must pay, and sometimes you pay dearly for that forgiveness. You know, in a perfect world, like in heaven, there'll be no need for forgiveness because there'll be no offenses against God or against your neighbor. But in this world, oh boy. You know, take a car accident. Say you just bought this car, and you're loving this car. You drove it around for less than a month, but, but it's still brand new to you. And you parked it in your driveway. No, no, you parked it in your garage. And then one day, you parked it in the street because you just had to run into the house and grab something so you could get back in the car and go to the store. But then, of course, here comes a guy rumbling, mumbling, stumbling down the block in his old jalopy, and he's texting. And before you know it, he slams your car, and the whole left side of your car from fender to fender look, looks nothing like the other side. The windows are gone, the doors are gone, the fenders are gone, and you come out, and you just say, what is going on? Now, there's a couple of things I can do here, but um, there's a cost for you to forgive him. If you forgave him for what he did, you're going to take on the cost of what happened. Forgiveness has a price tag on it. Forgiveness means taking the cost of some misdeed upon yourself. Um, if somebody seriously wrongs you, you can respond in one of two ways. One, you can have bitterness, anger, resentment, revenge. You could want what happened, what he did to you, to happen to them in a matter of minutes before they reach the end of the block. But you know what? This starts a never-ending cycle of evil. But the second thing you could do is you could forgive him, refusing to retaliate and make him pay. Now, I'm not talking about this accident. I'm talking about a deliberate offense against you. Somebody that, that was a, a familiar friend of yours, a husband, a spouse, a, a, spouse a, a, a parent, a child, a neighbor, a boss, that really deliberately hurt you and hurt you deep. And many of you have experienced that. And if you haven't experienced it, to some extent, everyone is going to experience it. That's the kind 
of person, that unforgivable person that we can choose to forgive. But in some cases, that's real agony to do that. That's real suffering. It's too hard to do. I don't want to do it. You know, but God says that putting to death the self leads to a resurrection, leads to real freedom. Otherwise, you're bound up with that bitterness and resentment. In fact, forgiveness is the only way to stop the cycle of evil. You know, we love God because he loved us first. It's not our kindness that draws us to God. It's the kindness of Jesus that draws us in. It doesn't mean that there's no consequences to uh, uh, forgiveness, but it does mean that we need to submit to the suffering, to die to oneself, that we might be resurrected. You know, there's a man named Dietrich Bonhoeffer that uh, was a pastor during World War II in Germany, and he escaped to England, and then he realized, you know, I have to go back to my people. I can't leave them under that Nazi regime. I have to go back and still preach the gospel. And so he goes back, even though he was free. He was captured by the, by the Germans and put in a uh, concentration camp. And uh, about a week or so before the Allies freed that concentration camp, he was executed by the Nazis. But he wrote in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, he said, true forgiveness is always a form of suffering. You want to examine whether or not you truly forgive some, forgave somebody? There probably was suffering that you had to go through. He goes on to say that forgiveness is the Christ-like suffering which it is the Christian's duty to bear. So when we forgive, we have to expect some type of suffering, and it's our duty to bear that. So why did Jesus need to die? Because we've seen that forgiveness means bearing the cost of another who wronged you rather than the one who perpetrated the offense bearing it. It's taking the suffering on yourself. And Jesus did this at the cross. It's the basis for triumphing over evil. That's how Jesus triumphed over evil. Colossians tells us Jesus made a spectacle of the devil, triumphing over him at the cross. What the devil meant for evil, God meant for good. He nailed our debt to the cross in his body. You know, 1 Peter 2 tells us, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. He had to. That's how he was forgiving us, by taking on what was rightly belonging to us. Why the crucifixion? Jesus became accursed for us. You know, there's plenty of curses in the Bible. You just have to read Deuteronomy 28 and 29. You'll see the blessings and the curses. Our rebellion brought those curses upon us. And the scripture tells us that cursed is everyone or anyone who hangs from a tree. That's why Jesus hung from a tree. That's why he went on the wood of the cross. Because of our rebellion. You know, one songwriter put it this way when he was speaking of the cross of Christ. He says, it's where justice is served and where mercy wins. 
You see, you can't be totally just and totally merciful at the same time. Yet God says that he's totally just and totally merciful at the same time. It's impossible. If I'm totally just, I don't administer much mercy. If I'm totally merciful, I don't administer much justice. To be both is impossible, but not for God. You see, the way he remained totally, totally just is justice was administered to him who was not guilty. And now he can administer mercy to anyone who will believe. God became human in order to fulfill all justice and at the same time offer merciful love. At the cross, both justice and mercy were fulfilled. In fact, the epistle of James tells us that at that place, mercy triumphed over judgment. And you know, the cross is more than just self sacrificing selfless love. Now it is all that. It's a great example of selfless love. But it was also necessary for our salvation that he would take the cost of our offenses in order to forgive us. He chose to do it. And since the wages, as we talked about, of those offenses and sin is death, the Bible says, answers the question, why did Jesus have to die? For us, in our place. It was the cost of forgiveness that he offered us. God was in Christ Jesus reconciling the world to himself. Then it goes on to say, he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. Can you imagine? I often wondered, what is my ministry, Lord? You have the ministry of reconciliation. You may have other ministries, but everybody has the ministry of reconciliation. So what is the ministry of reconciliation? It requires two things. One, that we go and tell neighbors, friends, family, anyone who will listen, that God was in Christ Jesus, reconciling the world to himself, that we can have peace with God through Jesus Christ because of what he did by taking on the cost of that forgiveness for them. The second is a little harder, that we, in our ministry of reconciliation, must be willing to be reconciled with anyone and everyone that has offended us the same way that God has reconciled himself to us. Our willingness to forgive and our willingness to suffer through that forgiveness, it reflects God's divine forgiveness. God wants you to reflect in the physical realm his forgiveness that he has for mankind. And he does it through the church. See, God doesn't want, you've heard it before, God doesn't want a perfect church. That's coming. He wants a forgiving church so that people who are not forgiven will understand they can have forgiveness in Christ. But it's it's another, it's another world's lifestyle. It's out of this world. It's something from a different kingdom. It's not the way this world works. You know, um, we have no choice but to forgive. And we need to choose to forgive those who we deem unforgivable. I mean the baddest. Lord, please, I can, I can forgive most people, but you just don't understand why I can't forgive this one. If you understood why I can't forgive them, then, then you would understand why I don't forgive them. 
But you know what? The psalmist says, oh, man, my, my, my familiar friend, he's the one that betrayed me. He lifted up his heel against me. It was very, very painful. And it was prophetic because Jesus had Judas sitting at the table on the Last Supper, and he offered forgiveness even to him. God offered Judas forgiveness through Jesus. And um, I wonder how we would react if we would forgive somebody who was planning to uh, murder our son and then actually carried through with that plans, how much forgiveness we would have for that, that God was offering to us. Remember Matthew 18, if you never read it, the, the second half of Matthew 18 talks about a servant that owed his master oh, millions of dollars. And the master said, throw him into prison until he's able to pay the debt. And the guy says, Oh, master, I, 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 please forgive me. Give me time. I'll pay you back. And he saw the seriousness of him, and he said, you know what? Your debt is totally forgiven. And so that same slave went out and saw a man down the block that owed him a few pen, pennies, a few dollars compared to what he owed. And he said to the man, you pay me now? He, didn't, he said, give me time to pay. Please, give me time to pay. He said, take the man and throw him into prison until he can pay the debt. Well, when the master heard it, he was angry. He said, go get that first servant and bring him to me. And he said to him, you couldn't forgive that man a few, a few dollars and I forgave you the debt that I forgave you? And he said, take that man and throw him in jail and give him to the torturers. And Jesus ends the story by saying, so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. Are you tortured? Are you tortured from unforgiveness? You can be set free. You can experience the freedom that comes from forgiveness. You see, the goal of Christianity is to be Christ-like. That's, that, that's the goal. If you're looking for the goal and, you're, and you're, you're distracted by all these things, the goal is to become Christ-like. And you cannot harbor unforgiveness and at the same time, be Christ-like. You know, Jesus taught the apostles to pray. And he gave them a few bullets on how to pray. But one of those bullets was, Our Father, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Do you want God to forgive you the way you forgive others? I hope you do, because then you're doing it his way. But regardless of how hard it is to forgive somebody or how badly that they have wronged you, you cannot out-forgive God. You know that person right now in your mind that you just, it's impossible to forgive. And if people understood, they would know that they have no right to your forgiveness because of what they did to you. Mm. Boom, that was the Holy Spirit. He just brought that person to mind, and that's where, you better, that's where you need to start. You need to start by asking God to forgive that person, whether they're dead or whether they're alive. Even if the person is dead, a parent, an aunt, an uncle, a spouse, or somebody, even if the person is dead, you can, in the spiritual realm, forgive that person. And you need to forgive that person, as well as anybody else. But you know what? You're not going to be able to do it on your own. It's impossible. In fact, many of you might have even tried. 
You cannot do it on your own. You need the grace of God to forgive because it's otherworldly. It's walking in the kingdom of God. And where does grace come from? It comes from the throne of God. Grace is the power that runs the universe. Grace is what's been displayed to us at the cross. And so the way we apply this grace that God has given us is through the Holy Spirit that he's given us. We need to rely on the Holy Spirit. We, ask the, we need to tell the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, I can't forgive this guy, but I know you want me to. I can't in myself, but I know you can through me. So ask God to forgive you, to give you the grace to forgive. You know, when the scriptures say that we're to participate in the sufferings of Christ, we say, oh yeah, you know, when I'm sick and I'm suffering, I'm going to offer that suffering up to Christ. That's a good thing. Jesus was never sick. We're to participate in his suffering. That doesn't mean we should not offer that suffering when we're sick up to God. Because Paul even said, you know, I prayed to God three times to heal me. And, and he said, my, my grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient for you. But really, to be honest with you, taking on the suffering that comes from true forgiveness is probably the major part in how we can enter into and participate in the sufferings of Christ. To forgive someone changes the status of that person from guilty to innocent. You were changed because of the forgiveness of God from guilty to innocent. I'll end it with this one story. I told it um, years ago from the pulpit, and I told it at a men's breakfast. So if I bore you, I'm sorry. But, uh, you know, when I was a child, uh, about 11 or 12 years old, I didn't have the habit of winning too many things. In fact, many of my friends liked to play cards with me because I, I'd never win. Uh, but, but, but one time, I won... Um, the top prize at a bazaar at one of the, one of the churches, and it was a, a brand new red Schwinn bike. I mean, it was the envy of, of all the kids, and I happened to win it. And so uh, I drive in it. I, I didn't have it very long, but I took care of it. Every time I bought it home, I put it in my yard. And this one time I bought it home, bought it in, put it in the yard, went in and had lunch. I went outside, came back, it was gone. So I went into, I went into my father, happened to be home that day. I went in and I said, hey, Dad, we got we to gotta go find my bike. Somebody stole it. And I'm bolting out the door, and he says, Jimmy, come over here. And I said, come over here. We, we got to go find this bike. You know, it'll be another block away if I got to come over here. So I went over. He sat me down. He says, Jim, listen, let's pray. Let's, let's ask God to forgive that person uh, for, taking, for taking the bike. And then in your spirit, give it to him so that he didn't steal it. You gave it to him. And um, wow. so, in any case, uh, we never did find the bike. But for an 11 or 12 year old boy, uh, it taught me that um, forgiveness costs something, that it was more important to forgive <coughs> than, <coughs> than to. Uh, want revenge, and uh, that, that God was more important, uh, it was more important that somebody's sins were forgiven than 
I was satisfied. And I will say this, though, that I, and I checked my mind a lot. I, I don't ever remember after that being um, resentful or bitter or saying, when I find that person, I'm going to wring their neck. Or, um, you know, when I get him, you know, I hope the same thing. It, it, it just didn't happen. It was gone. And I don't remember desiring that bike. I, I figured, you know, OK, I, I walked before it, and I'll walk now. Now listen, that story is, is nothing compared to what some of you have suffered. And I don't mean to even equate that. It's the principle that I'm trying to, to get across, that it's more important to forgive for freedom. It's more important. And it's not even forgiving for freedom. It's forgiving because of obedience. God wants us to forgive. It changes people's lives. It takes them from being guilty to being innocent. And so you've been forgiven much, and we need to forgive others. And we can't do it without God's help. First thing you need to do is receive God's forgiveness yourself. If you don't need, know God's forgiveness, you need to ask him to forgive you to accept Jesus' death on your behalf so that forgiveness can be afforded you. Second thing you need to do, you must ask God for the grace to forgive somebody. You can't do it on your own. You have to ask for it. The psalmist says, for you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. See, today, today is Forgiving Friday. And it's a good Friday to all of us who have been forgiven. Let me follow some of this.